0: Welcome to Central Assembly of God's podcast. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, one other thing I want to bring clarity to before I share my message today is something that we call in the Christian realm the Fivefold ministry. Now, we had uh, Jason Jablonski here this past week for several special services. Jason Jablonski is called by God to be an evangelist. An evangelist is one of the five-fold ministers found in Ephesians chapter 4. So you don't have to turn there, but if you want to write it down, it's Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And I'm just going to read these verses to you. I'm going to explain uh, how we'll approach this. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Did you count five? Yeah? Say yes. If you weren't paying attention, there's five. I promise you can look it up. So Christ himself gave us these five, we call them offices, but please don't think of that as like a business office. Christ gave these five offices, these men or women of God who are called to these ministries to run separate lanes for this purpose in verse 12. To equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith. So look what's happening here. There's an equipping going on. There's a building up. There's a unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, so there's a maturity that is a result, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the expectation for apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are to equip and build up the body of Christ so that we would be unified in the faith, we'd have knowledge of Christ, and have the fullness of who He is. We have professionalized the ministry especially in America, where all y'all are standing are looking at one person right now. And what the tendency might be is to think that the person who gets paid as a pastor or a director or a coordinator does all of the work. Where if you actually see in the Bible, these five offices, these men and women who run these lanes, completely operate differently, but they equip you in a different area so that the body of Christ would do the work of the ministry. And I don't mean just by like, we need more ushers or nursery workers. I mean the work of the ministry out in culture so that the kingdom of God would come down and invade the kingdoms of this earth, okay? So I heard this example a few years ago, and I'm going to give it to you. I want you to stick up your thumb. This stand represents the apostle. Say apostle. Apostle. So the apostle is the thumb. He's like the governor. He flows into the rest of the ministries. He equips the body to be sent out, but he flows into each of the other ministries. Now keep your thumb up, put your pointer finger. Actually, you could just have your pointer finger up I guess. The prophet is the pointer finger because he leads the way. He points the way. He is is gifted in hearing the voice of God. He's also gifted in equipping the body to hear the voice of God for themselves. Okay? The evangelist. Say evangelist. The evangelist is the longest finger. He represents the middle finger. I'm going to keep all my fingers up. (laughs) The evangelist is the longest finger because he goes ahead of the rest of us. He leads the way in reaching the lost and unreached territories, but he also equips the body for reaching the lost. So when we have an evangelist, then it's not just to have, I mean, we want harvest to be brought in, but we also want him or her to equip us to reach the lost, okay? All right, your ring finger. That's really hard to hold up yourself. Say, pastor. Pastor. The pastor is the ring finger because he's all or she's all about covenant and relationship. So they equip the body to to care and nurture one another in the body of Christ. Then put your pinky up. Say teacher. Teacher. Now he's the pinky because the teacher digs a little deeper than everyone else. (laughs) I didn't make this up. I heard it from someone else. So the teacher equips the body to correctly discern And study the Word of God. Now, when all five of these ministers work together, there's the complete hand. And they are here to equip us to snatch people out of darkness, to put them into light, so God can launch them into their God given destiny. Now, a lot of times in American churches, especially, we will have ministry specifically from pastors and teachers only. The pastor probably had that position because of their care and their concern. Or maybe somebody's gifted in teaching God's word, so they hold this role because they preach every Sunday. I want to tell you, I'm committed to receiving ministry from all five-fold of ministers. I want you to understand, they run in in the same direction, but once you're exposed to them, you'll see they are quite different. Like an apostle will usually challenge your theology about what is actually possible now by God. So he's going to expand your theology and the miraculous and what God can do through your life. A lot of times at the end of one of these messages, you might feel challenged to repent from wrong thinking or to go out there and conquer the world for Jesus. A prophet may appear to not even preach a message. They might seem very sloppy to people who like something organized because they're sensing what God's saying and they're speaking it to you very spontaneously. They might spend a lot of time speaking words of prophecy over the nation, over the church, or over individual people. You might actually feel out of touch with yourself at the end of a message, and ministry from a prophet because he's speaking things that are not yet existent in your life. So you're seeing it and hearing it, but you're not seeing it. So you might feel actually out of touch. Evangelists, a lot of times they're excitable, they're aggressive with their message of repentance, holiness, and sin. They're mostly preaching, which is proclaiming God's word, rather than teaching, which is explaining God's word. You might feel tense and on edge after a message because they're challenging where you are right now. A pastor is mostly more soft-spoken. They communicate care, concern, compassion, love, forgiveness. You might feel warm and cozy after a message by them. You might feel accepted, loved, part of a family. And teachers, they might be passionate in their delivery, but they're more concerned with you receiving revelation from God's word than an immediate response from you. So they might explain meanings of words, history, and culture, So you'll probably feel encouraged after a message or ministry from them because the light bulb will go off. Oh, I never saw God's word or I never saw God's nature in that way. Like I said, I wanna be committed to to actually following scripture, to be equipped and built up in these ways. So this is what I need to ask you to do is to recognize that these five different areas are very different in their delivery and in the way that they minister. So if you like soft-spoken messages on love and compassion, then a loud sermon on the fire of God might not, might not sit well with you at times. Or you might like when a prophet comes in and just speaks spontaneously. So the three-point message that all begin with the letter S by a pastor or teacher just might not do it for you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to realize that all five of these ministries are in the God's Word. They're actually gifted differently because they're to, to help equip you differently. That's why a mom raises a child differently than a dad. We need to embrace both of those ways, but they're running in the same direction. So what I'm going to ask is that we put our personal preferences aside when we have different ministers in and just ask God, what do you want me to learn by this person running in this lane? For instance, we are going to have Dan Moeller come in at the beginning of March. This man completely, in a good way, wrecked my theology. I mean, just completely undid me. And I was like, how was I so wrong for so long? but he showed me the love of God and my identity like no other minister has in my life, set me free from certain things. He operates, I believe, apostolically because he's talking about identity. He's building up in grace, but he's also sending us out in power. Now, he has a different anointing than Paul Martini did. He has a different anointing than Jason Jablonski did. So we're going to bring people in that are like, well, wait a minute, I thought we were gonna go down this route and everybody was gonna scream. Well, I thought we were gonna do everything soft. I thought we were gonna, no, listen, these are different anointings to serve a different purpose, but that it unifies us together. So I wanted to explain that to you. So as we see different ministers come in, you'll actually see different anointings of what their purpose is. Whew. Everybody stretch. Here we go. All right. So I was praying uh, going into last week. I felt like the Lord said, I want, to ta- I want you to take this day to pastor the last two weeks of our life here at the church. Okay? So we've had Declare. We've read God's Word. We have fasted. We've prayed. We had a week of uh, evangelism with special services. And now I, I want every single one of you to be able to ask and answer this question. Now what? Now what? I've been a part of services where God would come in and just blow something up and God's power's moving and this and that. And then three months later, you're like, what happened back there? I don't feel the same as back there. So then what we do is we want that person to come back so we have that same feeling. And that's not what God wants us to do. Those people are good. Those experiences are good, right? I love the encounters that I've had with God. But we have to ask ourselves the question, now what? Like, now what do we do? Are we waiting for the next big thing? Are we going to advance our relationship with Jesus on our own? Say, yes, I'm going to advance my relationship with Jesus on my own. <laughs> like for me personally, I ask a lot of questions. I, find, I, I try to seek to find understanding. Like I want to know how things click and how things fit in. I want to know how God moves and why he's moving in certain ways. When I first participated in revival services 14 years ago, I was not sure what was going on. I wasn't sure why people were reacting to God's presence the way that they were. So through the years, I've learned to actually ask questions, all right? I went internal for a while and I was like, I don't see this in scripture and maybe this or that. Pastor Nathan, a former youth pastor here, was wonderful with me. He let me ask the hard questions. He let me be confused at times. He let me search scripture. Pastor Bill Volt took me to scriptures about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And what I did is I engaged my questions. I didn't hide them. I engaged them with people, trusted people, and the word of God until I either found answers Or I found out that God is way bigger than my comprehension. He's just going to move in ways I don't understand sometimes. So I want you to do the same. I want you to ask questions. I want to create dialogue after God moves in a certain way or after you fasted for the first time. You're not breaking your opportunity to receive a reward if you talk to a pastor or a trusted friend about your fast. Like, how did it go for you? Like, you can talk these things through. Find evidence in Scripture and grow from them. You with me? You know, if you are in these moments or after these moments, if you say to God, I shall not be moved, then guess what? You shall not be moved. But if you say to God, listen, I don't understand everything that's going on, but I just want you to have all of me, then what you've done is you've opened up your heart to just let God invade and just work in you how he wants to work specifically in you. So over these past two weeks, everything has been focused about coming to this building, To receive from God, right? We've had the prayer room open 18 hours a day. The sanctuary was filled with reading God's word. The altar has been packed with people getting touched by God's power. Worship has been filled with joy and dancing in our evening services this past week. Over the last 14 days, we've had 11 services to come and meet with God. Now, all of these things provided the church, the people, was provided by the church for your benefit. So, we've had people that have encountered God's fire in a very fresh way. We had, I don't know, maybe close to 20, 25 people baptized in the Holy Spirit with speaking in other tongues last week. We have bodies that are free from pain because Jesus healed them. We had people that were freed from anxiety and depression, filled with holy laughter and holy joy this past week. But all those services are over. And now what? What? Like, now what do we do so I don't look back four weeks from now, four months from now, four years from now and say, that was like a really good mountaintop experience and everything's kind of been miserable from there. <laughs> right? I want to break off. Now, for as, as important as receiving ministry is here, I want to break off the lie that you have to come into a building to receive from God. That's I'm not preaching anything against Declare or last week's services. Are you catching me? I just want to break off a belief that God only shows up when the lights are low and you're at the altar. So we have to ask ourselves, now what? I believe the answer is quite simple. We need to eat more and drink more. We just broke our fast last week. He's telling us to eat more. (laughs) In the context of John chapter 6, you can turn there. I'm going to share some other scriptures, but if you turn to John chapter 6, you'll be where we're going to camp out. I pray, my hope, my desire is that you simply get stirred up to continue to eat more and drink more for Jesus. While you're turning to John chapter 6, I want to read to you. Uh, I think it was like last, maybe Tuesday, in our prayer time with our pastors, the Lord sent me to Psalm 63. And it was funny because then that night, Jason shared uh, this verse. It may have been two nights after that. But the Lord showed it to me. I want to share it with you. In Psalm 63, I'm just going to read five verses while you're at John chapter 6, but if you want to write down Psalm 63, this is David, he wrote this psalm and he says, you God are my God, I earnestly seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. See, there's a spiritual thirst that can actually be cultivated in your own personal life in order to keep drinking after the worship service is over, right? Like when I wake up in the morning, I don't feel the goosebumps, right? I don't wake up and Adam doesn't have his mini keyboard there right next to my bed playing for me. <laughs> That'd be actually very awkward if you were. <laughs> so it's not, the feeling's not always there. There's a personal cultivation of thirst that David developed in his life that he could actually honestly say when he was all by himself out there with just him and his sheep saying, I thirst for you. My soul, my entire soul longs for you. It says in verse two, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your glory and power. So there was an encounter that David would have had. It says, because of your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. So what happened here? David's saying, God, I've had a vision. Most theologians believe it. this was a vision that David had. So I had a vision of beholding your glory, actually experiencing your power in the temple. I've experienced the very manifestation of God. And as a result of that, my lips will praise your name. My lips will glorify you. He didn't say, I've beheld your glory in the temple, and I will behold your glory again next Sunday morning and Wednesday night at Bible study. He doesn't say that. I beheld your glory. I beheld your power. And because of that, my lips will praise you and glorify you. In fact, in verse four, he goes on. I will praise you as long as I live. Now, was David in the sanctuary, the temple, 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Absolutely not. But he's saying, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Some of you were physically healed right here this past week, right? So what you do is you take that experience and use it as a monument in your life to not just look back and say, God's never moved that way again, but to look back and say, I know, I beheld your power, Heavenly Father. And because of that, I will praise you all the days of my life. If your pain comes back, command it to leave. Don't believe a lie that it's, it's going to come back eventually. I have to do this. No, ask the Lord. How did you heal me? Or, you know, why did you heal me? Or admit that he healed you, thank him, change your lifestyle if you need to, and then walk in your healing. In verse five, it says, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing my lips, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So David's saying, listen, as you filled me in this vision, as you filled me through my experience, I will continue to be filled as if I'm feasting on the best food I can get a hold of, and I will continue to praise you. So how I put that in context here, listen, some of you, I saw you, some of you came in very somber, broken this past week. And by by, by Tuesday and Wednesday night, like you're doing twirls and jumping up and down at the altar. God touched your life, okay? So you can say, I beheld your power, I beheld your glory, I will in the future continue to be fully satisfied as if I'm eating a feast, all right? It's not just, oh God, I haven't moved like that for 30 years, and I'm not going to move like that for another 30 years. Come on, (laughs) loosen up the legs, get in your bedroom, start going, maybe don't look in a mirror, I don't know right? Now, some of you might be like, I'm not a jumper. I'm not a dancer. That's fine. I'm not telling you, you have to jump to experience the joy of the Lord. I'm saying, don't take two weeks of encountering God and fasting and prayer, and then just go back to the normal way of living. Like, let that be a new normal, what you experienced in the last two weeks. Like some of you, you came and you read God's word for a half hour declaring it. I mean, it was a sweet presence, right? So some of you actually came out, some of you wrote about it. I actually felt the tangible presence of God. But now, a week and a half later, you may not have opened up your Bible again, all right? So what I want you to do, open the Bible tonight, Matthew chapter 1. Just go through the Gospels. They're the easiest to understand. Just one or two chapters a day. Begin to feed on his word. And then you won't say, man, It's July, and I haven't felt God's presence like that since I was at this pulpit in January. No, you can actually feel, well, it doesn't even matter if you feel it, but you can receive him every single day. There are great resources online. There's free apps and all kinds of stuff that can just get you into easy reading plans. But you have to feed yourself now, all right? I mean, it'd be okay if we kept this place open 18 hours a day, but you have this and you have a couch and a lamp. We can do this. Right? We can do this. Some of you prayed for 30 minutes for the first time in your life during Declare. That's awesome. I think we had, what, it was like 105 or 150 different people in that prayer room over those five days. And maybe you've never prayed for 30 minutes before. Maybe you've never prayed a focused prayer like on the manifesto, right? Maybe you felt God's presence. We read a testimony last week about how someone was baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time while praying. Nobody else, no laying on of hands or anything, right? Right? So don't leave that as a far distant memory. Use the manifesto or just write down things you want to see in your life and begin to press in. Do you know, I don't know if there's 30 30 bullet points on that manifesto. We haven't seen but a small percentage of them come back yet. And I'm not discouraged. And we're working now, we'll be on our second year of working on praying through this. It's a a lesson in perseverance, continuing to press through in prayer until we receive results. So just pray, right? Just find time to pray each day. All right, John chapter six. In the beginning of this chapter, Jesus feeds 5,000. It was probably closer to 8,000 when you count the women and the children. He multiplied food that came from one boy. After that, Jesus goes away to pray. His disciples cross uh, the lake to Capernaum. Jesus walks on water. Remember, they're terrified and then they realize it's him. The next day, The same crowd that just got fed miraculously, in fact, Pastor Juan mentioned this this today while he was praying. That same crowd then followed Jesus and found him in Capernaum. I'm going to pick up at, at verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Like, I mean, they traveled all night to get to him. They're excited. They're thinking he's going to like do something cool. And he like rebukes them, right? He's like, listen, you're not looking for me because you actually saw the miraculous. You're looking because you ate physical food and had your fill. It's that phrase, had your fill. Isn't this everyone's natural desire, right? Just to be comfortable, to be warm, to have our full, have our, our, our bellies full, filled, we get a little bit hungry, we'll have the afternoon snack to hold us over until dinner time. You know, there's actually many different things, not just food, that we want to be filled up with, but a lot of it surrounds around our comfort. So Jesus was actually correcting a mindset here. He's saying, listen, you were focused on what I can give you, give you, give you. You were focused on eating, 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 and actually didn't discern that I'm the Messiah by working through the miracles that I worked. So because, because they were looking at what they could consume in the natural, they missed what they could have consumed in the spiritual. Now, some of you fasted for the very first time, right? This is what you were doing actually over this week. You're saying, God, I'm not going to consume anything in the natural during this fast so I can consume more of you. I can eat of you and drink of you in the spiritual, That's what fasting is. It's putting to death the desires of your flesh so your spiritual desires will increase. I don't want that to end just because you're eating now. So you're eating three meals a day now. That's fine. You can still pursue God with a full stomach. But as you take these moments of fasting, in fact, I would encourage you, maybe even sometime before Easter, talk with somebody about your fast and so on and actually pursue it and fast again. Maybe one day, maybe one meal over a week, maybe the whole week, whatever it is. Sometime before Easter, grab a hold of that thing again. Don't wait for the church to go and call for that. And you may have heard very clearly from the Lord, and he may have given you instructions. I would encourage you, act on what he told you. And you may have been just really hungry and really foggy the entire time you fasted. Please do not think that nothing happened. You sowed a seed into the ground, and at times, it takes some time to sprout up. I was foggy and hungry, and I just couldn't wait to eat those little Chick-fil-A sandwiches, right? (laughs) No, God is working even when you don't feel him and you don't see him or sense him. You put a spiritual seed into the ground, and you will be rewarded. Verse 27, still in John chapter 6. It says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So, what Jesus was saying here, he's giving them a revelation that there's a difference between the physical world and the spiritual world. He's telling them there is a food that spoils and there's a food that doesn't. Which one are you working for? He's saying, listen, don't live your whole life just to fill your stomach. Live your life to fill your spirit by eating and drinking of what is spiritual. Now listen, natural appetite is different than spiritual appetite. We've talked about this before. When you eat in the natural, okay, like if you're eating, I I ate pizza last night. I eat a piece. I eat a piece. I eat a piece. My stomach gets full, and I don't want to eat anymore. That's a natural appetite, right? You eat until you're full, and sometimes we eat way too much, and then we're like, oh my goodness, I don't feel good anymore. On a spiritual side, a spiritual appetite When you begin to eat of his word, when you begin to drink of his spirit, you get full to overflowing. And that overflowing pours out into other people so you can continue to eat even though you're full. So as you eat of the word, as you drink of the spirit, your appetite for it actually grows so you can eat more and drink more. The good thing is, is when you eat of Jesus, you drink of the spirit, he always leaves room for dessert. You will never get sick. Of eating and drinking of the Lord. Oh, I'm too full. no No more Bible. No more prayer. It's not going to happen. As you eat of him and as you drink of him, your appetite will absolutely increase. If you go down to verse 30, they ask him this, what miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I'm nervous that if I was in that crowd, I would have maybe asked the same question. But are you following this story? These people saw a boy with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Like the loaves are this big, the fish are this big. They saw this multiply to feed 8,000 people yesterday. And they're already asking, what miraculous sign are you going to show us? This is what I don't want. From Declare? And from Jason Jablonski, I don't want five days from now to say, hey, God, what do you got for me that's miraculous to prove that you're real? Show me something big. Show me something electrifying. I want to feel that spiritual high again. And he's saying, wait a minute. I just healed your neck last week. Wait a minute. I just showed you a very first vision. I just filled you with the Holy Spirit two weeks ago. Right? So we're not looking for the next experience. We're looking to eat of him and drink of him. And then we're here. Already in good, healthy relationship with him. Again, I'm not downplaying experiences. Please don't get that from me. If God wants to whack you every single morning, that's fine with me. What I'm saying is these people were looking for something more because they didn't believe what they already saw. So receive what you received in your heart from God and take that to build upon that. Matthew 5 Verse six, you don't have to turn there because I'm gonna continue on in John. But it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. There's a promise in God's word that when you hunger and thirst for the things of God, you will be filled with those things. And the caution is, In a series of meetings like we had last week, and I I love the meetings. I love the altar times. I love seeing people get touched by God. Like I said, people were just freed from anxiety, depression, sadness, all that kind of stuff. But we can actually trick ourselves by the end of that week that if we didn't sense his presence or if we didn't fall over, if we didn't laugh, if we weren't the ones jumping up and down, that God actually didn't move. It's very, very simple. Very easy to fall into that when you have services that are focused on coming to the altar, someone praying for you, uh, and and then you encountering God. God. That you can actually think, wait a minute, I need to be prayed for now. I need to come back to this altar. I need to feel something or sense something or God's not moving. And that's not true. God absolutely moved through our altar times. But God can absolutely move through you in the morning as you pray and seek his face. So I don't don't want you to believe that lie that you have to feel something or sense something. Last Sunday and in each of the evening services, there were multiple people who fell under the power of God. Now, many Christian cir- circles call this being slain in the spirit, right? How many of you know that phrase? I, I, I know that phrase. I don't care for that phrase because of the word slain. I just don't, I'm just not comfortable with that. So I just refer to falling under God's power. Now, this might be new to you. It was new to me 12 years ago when it happened to me for the very first time. It may have made you nervous. I want to talk about these things because I think sometimes God moves in ways, pastor doesn't bring it up, and then people just continue to wonder instead of talking about it. Like, ask questions. We have elders, we have leaders, we have teachers in the church. Ask people questions, okay? You might not understand what's going on. I can assure you, through my own personal experiences, through seeing people buckle under the power of God in Scripture, these are authentic experiences. I've had experiences where God's power or His presence or peace has hit me, and I went down. There's been times where I've actually felt electricity of God, the heat of God flowing through my body. At that moment, I'm not looking for where's the verse for this. I know God has apprehended me and is doing powerful things in my life. So for as as strange as a phenomenon as it may be, it really is just the presence or power of God that is so overcoming upon a person that they simply cannot stand any longer. Some say they feel faint. Some say they feel power surging through their body. Some feel completely relaxed and at peace. And we've talked to people, I mean, many people that have experienced this over years, too. They'd say, well, God just wanted me to rest in his presence. Or God showed me a vision. God called me into ministry. God confirmed something in my life. God sent me into a season of repentance. Whatever God's doing in there is personal to them, but the manifestation of it might look the same. So this is what I want to encourage you with. During times of ministry, whether it's a guest minister or altar team member comes and lay their hands upon you, will you just focus on God and not the person? There are people with specific anointings that just carry that power in different ways, but it's not about the person. It's about him. It's about God doing what he wants to do through you. It's not about the experience. It's about him, as important as the experience might be. Now, I saw this past week. God moved in waves. I don't understand why he did it. I've seen it in other services where it'd be like calm. And then, like, quick, like, you, you'd, you'd sense, like, he's moving here. And, and Jason did respond. He'd walk down altar. So sometimes it would just be fire, God, fire. And sometimes it would be like, now, now, now. And I watched as some of you, if we could just be real authentic and real transparent, some of you, you're, you're like, you're, you're in the zone, you're like this. And, and he'll take, take your hands, now. You know, it'll, it'll startle you. So I get that. I want you to focus on him. Okay, what I've learned to do in revival services I stand strong. I don't let anybody put pressure on me or anything like that. I'll sense if God's doing something. I'm not going to think, should I fall or not? Like It's not a process. What are you doing in my life, right? At times, literally, there will be times uh, that like, I'm on the ground, and I'm like, okay, I guess he, he knocked me over in the spirit. So I, I, you've got to keep it real authentic. You've got to ask us questions. Come to us. Talk to us. I want to be real. I want this to be a safe place to encounter God, and then to work things out if you have questions. Can you say amen? Amen. I've seen this happen before. The Christian circles call this a courtesy fall. I'm standing here. (laughs) I just want to be real, because people get nervous in those environments, and then they don't come forward to receive from God. I just want to be real. So if you have questions, trust me, the first time I saw people fall over, I was freaked out. It was like 14 years ago. It wasn't in Erie. It was in a skiing place. Anyway, but I saw people, it was at a youth retreat. And that's when I started my dialogue with Nathan and started looking at scripture. Okay, so there's 10 people here. I'm the 11th person and we're all waiting. The Evangelist or the apostle or whoever starts down there. They're praying for it. Fall, 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 fall. And you're thinking, I'm gonna look foolish if I don't fall, right? So he prays to you and you're like, I don't feel this at all, but I'm gonna go ahead. And then you just rest. And then you're wondering, how long do I have to sit here before I get up? <laughs> you know how foolish that looks to God. He's like, what are you doing? Like, I wanted to speak to you standing up, but you're trying to look like everything else. Just admit God works uniquely through each one of you. If he wants you to stand and show you something without you feeling anything, that's okay. I don't want you to fake it. Right? Now, at the end of a service, if I see 60 people laid out on the floor, and I, you could tell people are authentically touched, we might say God moved in power, people are laying on the floor, but we're not going to judge how God moved in a service by how many people are on the ground and standing up. No. Amen. All right. you. Good. 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 I shared with, I think, three people this past week, there is a, high, a highly respected prophet, I believe he's a prophet of the Lord, ministering out of California, he has ministered to thousands, probably tens of thousands of people. And he'll prophesy over people, and he'll lay hands on people, and they will go down. I mean, they will drop under the power. And he once told that he, he'll come to these prophetic conferences, and people will pray for them. He'll say, there'll be 10, 12, 15 other prophets or apostles or evangelists on that platform. Every single one of them will be just fall out, and they'll experience God. He has never once fallen under the power of God. And it was such a freeing thought. And I, I shared it with, I think, I think, three different people this past week. I'm like this. The goal is not to fall over. The goal is to respond to what God's doing in you. If that leads to laughing, shaking, rolling, falling, standing still quietly, I don't care. I want you to just open your heart to receive from God. Okay? So you can have a very effective ministry and never fall over. And I'm perfectly fine if you do. Are you with me? Some of you might be very uncomfortable I'm talking about this. I'm just not going to let those moments pass. We have to be willing. Like, you have to be willing to call and ask questions, like, to our staff or to, to a trusted friend to say, hey, let's work this out. I'm confused. Uh, you know, I've never seen this before. Okay? Yes? Oh, yeah, the very first time I, I was slain in spirit or fell over was right here. It was during Agnes Day. I don't know how to pronounce it and I'm just worshiping, worshiping, and I literally felt my hands shaking, and I'm thinking, like, are my hands falling asleep because they've been up long? Like, I'm seriously thinking this, and before I know it, I, I just fall forward, and the Lord starts to confirm to me that I was called, called to full-time ministry. Later, I don't know if it was a year later, it was in Erie, and uh, it was this minister with his assistant, and his assistant, do he come, come stand up for me? His assistant comes up to me, And he goes like this. He goes, "Mm," and like, I mean, just like, like does this to me. And I went like this and I went up like that. I'm like, I am not falling. I mean, I didn't say this to him. I'm thinking I'm not falling over. That is like completely outrageous. Thank you, dude. (laughs) So I'm mad at this guy. And I just determined, I'm just seeking your face, seeking your face, seeking your face. It was like five minutes later. The Lord, I'm I'm telling you, the Lord, I don't know if he lifted me up, but the Lord sent me backwards. Anthony was there because he thought I hurt myself. Chairs are flying everywhere behind me. It was authentic as it could be. Like, I don't, if you know me well enough, I'm not going to make this stuff up. I'm not going to fake stuff at all like this. And the Lord took me off my feet in power. But he was deeply called, he was calling me into full-time ministry. Why do I have to knock your feet? I have no clue why he did it the way he did it. While I was down, he's saying, you might not feel qualified. You might not feel good enough. You might not feel ready. I'm calling you into ministry. Okay? So it doesn't, yeah, that's a great point. It does not have to be by laying on of hands. That's good. If you're new, like the Pentecostal churches, if you're new to seeing God move this way, I would encourage you online. Um, I preached a series, a message. John is in that series as well called The Spark Before the Fire, and it goes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, goes through God encounters, and some things that will, help, will hopefully help you. In fact, if, you wanna, if you're newer to Pentecostal church and you just have questions about some of this stuff and you're not too proud to actually put your hand up, if you just wanna raise your hand, Sharice has two sets of that CD. Anybody? Yeah, just raise your hand if you want them. I mean, we just want to show them to you. We want to be able to answer, answer questions. All right, let's go to verse 32, John chapter 6. Jesus tells them this. He, they're looking for a miracle, and he tells them this. I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And this, Jesus throws them for a loop. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So he's saying, have a hunger for me. Have a thirst for me. I am the bread of life. So when you come and you partake of Christ, it's actually saying that you'll never be hungry or thirsty. But just a few minutes ago, I said that your hunger and your thirst can continue to grow. What he's saying is this. When you come and you partake of the Lord, when you eat of him and you drink of the Spirit, your hunger and your thirst for worldly appetites will go away. So he's saying now, now that you're eating of the true bread of life, you will no longer be hungry or thirsty for those things. If you're struggling with worldly appetites, it's really hard to develop a spiritual appetite. But some of you, you go around life trying to avoid sin and avoid sin and avoid sin instead of eating of Christ and drinking of the Spirit and then those appetites will decrease over time. So he's now saying, I'm the bread of life. They get mad. Verse 41. At this time, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? I believe this here is an example of the same familiarity breeds contempt. They thought they knew who he was. They thought they knew about him, so they thought there's no way he can do this. Listen, there's a caution that we do that in church sometimes, right? Oh, I've been to these services before. I know what they're going to do. I'm not going to go forward. Oh, I know what God's trying to do right now. It's not for me. I'm not going to press in, right? And we think we know all this stuff about God, so we think we know how he's moving and how he's working, and then we might actually miss it. So what I want to do is wake up each day with like a fresh view of God, take him outside the box that we put him in and say, God, like move in me and through me in a unique way today. He goes on in verse 51. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh. Now things are starting to get a little bit weird. Right? I mean, if you, have you ever read these and like not struggled through this? You know, you know what you think? You all think he's introducing communion here. They did not have a little cup and a wafer with them. He was not introducing communion here. If anyone eats, this, eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then, he be, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So then Jesus lays it out in verse 53. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, now it just got really weird, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is the real food, and my blood is the real drink. Whoever eats, eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, like in John chapter 15, right? Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. Remaining in him, and I, it remains in me, and I in him. Jesus is not talking about cannibalism here. He's not talking about communion here. He's giving them a revelation of how to actually remain in him. He's saying, just as you eat earthly food, earthly bread, and you drink earthly drink to be filled, eat of him and drink of him, spiritually speaking, to be filled up to overflowing. Now, this is one part I learned about last year. I never understood why they would have like I I didn't understand what they knew. So, in ancient sacrifices to false gods, can you say false gods? This was not a Christian practice. In ancient sacrifices to false gods, the animal was not completely uh, burned during the sacrifice. A third of the animal was burnt on the altar. A third was given to the false priest as their payment. And a third to the worshipers to make a feast for themselves. At this feast, the false god was believed to be a guest at the meal. Once the meat was sacrificed on the altar and offered to that God, it was a belief that the God actually entered that meat. And therefore, when the worshiper ate the meat, he was literally eating his God to ingest him so he can literally be God-filled. Now, Jesus' disciples actually understood this teaching because a lot of them weren't believers yet. They were following him. They didn't believe him. They just got fed miraculously, but still didn't believe him, right? So these people would have been at some of these before. And now he's saying, unless you eat my flesh, you will have no part of me. So they've heard it before, but it's all been about gods that they haven't seen. And now a man is standing before them saying, I'm the true God. When you eat of me, you are actually ingesting the spirit of God until you literally become filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what eating more and drinking more is. I love what one commentator, William Barclay says. He said, when he told us to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he was telling us to feed our hearts and souls and minds on his humanity and to revitalize our lives with his life until we are filled with the life of God. And how many of you know you don't need to come into a church building to receive that? Amen. So when you're thinking of his flesh, eating his flesh, so obviously it's a spiritual parallel of thinking about, meditating on his humanity, the beatings that he took, the cross that he died on, the perfect life that he lived. It's meditating on that and receiving from God's word. When he's talking about his blood, it's talking about his shed blood, right? His shed blood for the forgiveness of all sins. The they that believe in that and embrace that, it's like they're ingesting that. He was saying, take me into my very core. I look at it this way. If you had a fruit, if there was a fruit piece of fruit out there that had all of the nutrients and minerals to satisfy your body for the whole day, you could take that fruit off the tree, you can lay it on the counter, you can cut it in every way, you can get your microscope out and look at it, you can analyze it and study it. You'll know everything about it, but is it going to benefit you at all sitting on the counter? Absolutely not. You must take that fruit and ingest it and digest it and let it absorb into your body. The only difference is it's outside you on one side, on one time, and then it's inside you in another. And Jesus is saying, ingest me, digest me, take me in every single day to remain in him so that we can say three months from now, we're stronger now than we were at the end of Declare. We're filled with more of God's fire now than we were whenever we had Jason Jablonski in, right? Do you see, I'm not putting them down. I'm not putting those events down. I'm saying these are building blocks to move up from, not a mountaintop to say, wow, do you remember that experience back there? Eating of him and drinking of him. In another section, Paul talks about not being drunk with wine, not filling yourself up with earthly wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. In your bulletins on the front section of the page, I I do, I think there were 20 or 25 individuals that received a baptism in the Holy Spirit this past week. On the inside cover, there's a link that goes to our website that has four or five excellent resources on the teaching of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, what happens when when you receive that. There's also a resource by Chi Alpha. It's a college ministry out of the Assemblies of God that gives you a year's worth of weekly emails teaching you about the Spirit-filled life. Do you know what that's called? Eating more and drinking more. Not what happened to me two years ago at the altar when I spoke some unintelligible language. It's no, I want to be and continue to be filled with the Spirit. On verse 60 in John chapter six, I'll end with these few verses here. It says, on hearing it, so on hearing this teaching, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Right? Have you ever been in the presence of God where you're like, this is just so hard to accept. This is so out of my comfort zone. This is out of the norm for me. Right? You might even feel like, oh, I can't do these services. I'm not going. Instead of embracing God and what he wants to do in your life and not judging what's happened in other people's lives. In verse 66, it says, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus says to the twelve. You do not want to leave me too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. He wanted, and he saw some radical experiences with God, but he wanted to walk with God. And even through his failure of denying Jesus three times, he got himself back up, fed himself on Christ, drank of the Spirit, and ended up preaching the very first early church message where 3,000 people come to know the Lord. So he had his mountaintop, he had his valley, but he learned those valley experiences don't need to happen if you continue to eat and drink of the Lord. I want to close with just a few more verses in the next chapter. In John... 7 verses 37 through 39. I believe Jesus is showing us the result of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Listen, folks, we shared this past week uh, during the evening services and I think maybe even on a Sunday morning. There have been three or four or maybe even five visions, spiritual visions that people have had about the river of God, either coming down off the screen, coming into the altar, about buckets of water being poured out, about a, a river of healing here, about water, the rivers and the waters of God flowing. And I'm telling you, we don't ever want to get to a point where we have to come to a building to jump into the river. The purpose of the river being here is so we come, we get soaked and wet, and we go home with rivers of living water flowing from within us. The Old Testament, you came to the temple to be with God. In the New Testament, we are the temple of God. So there's a huge difference. I'm all about jumping in the river. I'll get splashy and get all wet here but we're failing to actually carry this out if we don't have rivers of living water coming from within us to get other people wet in our daily life. So for as much as I would love to call everybody forward and end with a fast song and jump up and down, or not. (laughs) I want you to stand with no music. And I just want you to take like a minute And however you want to, to ask the Lord to stir up a hunger and a thirst for God. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.